energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Freddie Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. A full show all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock here on DEV. And boy, do as, as usual, do we have a lot to get to. We continue getting ready for the NCAA tournament as we talk with uh, our first look at a Marquette insider today. We're going to talk with Gabe Neitzel. Gabe Neitzel is a part of the Marquette radio broadcast team at ESPN Wisconsin. So he'll talk little UVM and Marquette hoops with us at 545. We'll talk at 630 or so with Morgan Valley, the Vermont native, who's a about to be inducted into the Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. She's on the coaching staff of the UConn women as they get ready for UVM as well. And of course, there's NFL free agency and Aaron Rodgers' big declaration as well. The show is brought to you by Fecto Homes, and you can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line at 802 585 3026 at your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and in Morrisville. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, they're online at sticksandstuff.com. So the Patriots have made a move, and they have made a move to address their wide receiver room. The Patriots have signed Juju Smith-Schuster, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. He won a Super Bowl this year with Kansas City. They lose Jacoby Myers yesterday. They get Juju Smith-Schuster today. It's a three-year $33 million deal. If that sounds familiar, it is because that is the exact same deal that Myers got from Vegas. And let me just say this. This is, a, as is usual, there are many, many layers to a story. On its surface, I like the signing of Juju Smith-Schuster. The Patriots have multiple holes in the wide receiver room. They lose Myers. There was another hole there yesterday. They have now plugged one of those holes. I like that. They got an NFL caliber talent to fill that hole. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, is a clear, a good, solid number two receiver. So if you're going to lose Jacoby Myers, I like that they have replaced him less than 20, you know, 24 hours later. Juju had a good year relatively for uh, Kansas City last year. He had 78 catches. He had 933 yards. He had three touchdowns. So he didn't get 1,000 yards, but he had nearly 80 catches. He would have clearly been the most productive receiver on the Patriots. So if you're going to lose Myers, filling it with Juju is something I'm generally happy about. What I'll also say is this. I don't know that Juju is a massive upgrade over Jacoby Myers. So we're talking about the Patriots offense needing to get a lot better 
in 2023. I don't think that Juju is a massive upgrade. Now, did he have more catches than Myers? Yes. Did he have more yards than Myers? Yes. He also had Andy Reid as a play caller and Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback. Two things he's not going to have in Foxborough. When you take away Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and give him Bill O'Brien, who we're decently high on, and Mac Jones and the rest of the Patriots offense, he very well end up may end up having reduced production and looking closer to Jacoby Myers. So I'm not sure that Juju is a massive upgrade. He has some better speed than Myers. He's a guy with more yards after a catch than Myers. So there's an element of explosiveness to Juju that's not there with Jacoby, but I'm not sure that Juju is just like this massive upgrade over him. I also think if you were giving me the choice, I'd still rather have Jacoby Myers than Juju Smith-Schuster. It's not that I don't like Juju. Now, he has some immaturities in his life, right? The TikTok stuff, the big too, too much into TikTok dances with Pittsburgh, talking smack after the Super Bowl at James, at James Bradbury with the Valentine's Day thing. So there's some immaturities with Juju, but that's not why I'd rather have Myers. At the end of the day, I'd rather have a guy who I've built who has been in my system, who has been in my program, who knows my locker room, and that's what Jacoby Myers is. Instead, you go out and bring in another outsider who will probably take time to learn the playbook, who will take time to develop chemistry with Mac Jones, who doesn't know Bill Belichick, and it's just a learning process. How many times have we seen that over the last several years where a guy comes in and it just takes him a while to get going? Jacoby Myers doesn't need that. Jacoby Myers would have been here and could hit the ground running. So, Juju is a nice replacement for Jacoby Myers, but I'm not sure he's exponentially better. And I think I'd still rather have Jacoby Myers. Now I'm partial because I just like Myers so much, but already knowing the locker room, already being a leader in that locker room, I do think that that is valuable. And if you're telling me that we have very comparable players, but one guy knows the facility, knows the system and knows the quarterback, I'm going to tend to lean towards that guy. I'm going to tend to lean towards that guy. That's just reality. And then there's just this question that I have. Three years, $33 million is the exact same deal that Myers got. Why wouldn't the Patriots pay it? The Patriots were clearly willing to give a receiver three years and $33 million. They were clearly willing to give a receiver $11 million a year. Why were they not willing to give that to Jacoby Myers? Do the Patriots not believe in Myers? Do the Patriots not think that Myers is any good? Do the Patriots think that Juju is exponentially better than him? I don't know, but Tom Curd of NBC Sports Boston asked a pretty good question last night. The Patriots seem to create value with players, say David Andrews or J.C. Jackson or Malcolm Butler or Jacoby Myers. They make them valuable. And then when it comes time to pay them, they don't want to do that, which I get because sometimes J.C. Jackson is too much. But then they go out there into the great wilderness and they bag a Johnu or a Nelson and they bring them back on the top of their car and say, look what we got. And it ends up not working out. You know, I just you create value for a guy like Jacoby Myers and then you don't reward him. But you go out and reward somebody on the outside that we're not sure is much better than him, if at all. Juju Smith-Schuster has some traits that are better than Jacoby Myers, but I don't know that he's that much better than him. And for the same money, I'd rather go with the familiar. And 
I like that Jacoby Myers has been pretty healthy for the majority of his career. And Juju Smith-Schuster, there are questions about his health. There are questions about his durability. I mean, he played five games in 2021 for Pittsburgh. He's been relatively healthy every other year. I will give him that. So maybe I'm overstating his injury concerns. But 2021, he was out most of the season. He only played in a third of it. But Myers is a guy who's willing to play, willing to battle, and is pretty much always available. Now, the text line is going off, 802-585-3026. Joe says it makes me mad that they, for the same money, wouldn't bring back Myers. What the hell are they doing? He says Myers is a team guy, a player you want on your team. Juju isn't a good locker room guy. You know, I don't know that about Juju Smith-Schuster. I haven't done enough character background check on Juju. I do know that he wore his welcome out in Pittsburgh, right? The whole thing about when Antonio Brown left and Juju Smith-Schuster was really interested in his TikTok channel, he's making dances and how focused is he on football? He wore out his welcome in Pittsburgh. I am hoping that that was more of a immaturity that has since been rectified. Now he ends up going to Kansas City last year, has proximity to Mahomes, wins the Super Bowl. Maybe he has been recommitted to winning, and that will he will bring that with him to the Patriots. I hope that is the case. Um, Travis says Juju doesn't blow the top off a defense like the Patriots need. That's true. Okay, that's true. And that's why today I am happy-ish, but not fully happy. I want to know what the Patriots' intentions are from this point forward. The Patriots still don't have a number one. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a number one. If you're just replacing Jacoby Myers with Juju Smith-Schuster and calling it a day, you haven't done enough. The Pats need a number one. Look, the Pats right now have a lot of twos and threes, and you can win with twos and threes, but you're going to need a one still. And the Patriots don't have a one. Devontae Parker is a two. Juju Smith-Schuster should be a two. Tyquan Thornton, we don't know what he is yet, but he's certainly not a one. Kendrick Bourne is a two or a three. The Patriots have as they've had for the last couple of years. They have some good receivers, but they don't have anybody that you fear. You didn't fear Jacoby Myers, and that's why I advocated for going out and getting a big play guy and letting Myers be by two or three. Now we just got Juju as a two or three. The same problems for the Patriots persist. You need a game breaker. We saw last year, A.J. Brown traded. Game breakers are available on the trade market. You can get a game breaker in the draft at number 14. You can get a game breaker in the second round. That's where they took Thornton last year. Maybe he'll become that guy. But right now, the questions for the Patriots are still there. Right? I look at the Patriots and by adding Juju Smith-Schuster, they are better than they were yesterday when they lost to Kobe Myers. But the Patriots offense is still much worse than it was even when the season ended. Right? The Patriots are going to lose Damian Harris in free agency. The Patriots have traded John U. Smith and the Patriots have lost Jacoby Myers. And all they have done is bring in Juju Smith Schuster. So they are still worse overall than they were at the end of the season when they weren't particularly good. 
they still need a game breaker. Now, Texter says, get Joe, uh, get Jerry Judy. Um, if Jer- Now, the Broncos are listening to offers on Jerry Judy, and it's reportedly a first-round pick. As I, for, I have the 14th pick in the draft. I would probably do that if I were the Patriots, but I'd have to give him a big contract. And you know what? I'd probably do that, too. That's the kind of game-breaker the Patriots need. Then the question becomes, if you get the game breaker, will the Patriots actually utilize them as a game breaker? But the, the, the time now for being frugal and the time for being diligent and smart, that time has passed. You've got to go out now and take swings. Teams are taking swings. Tyreek Hill got traded last year. Stephon Diggs got traded a few years ago. A.J. Brown got traded. Teams are absolutely now taking shots, and you got to be one of them because right now you're getting passed by. Right, the Patriots are getting passed by. Juju Smith-Schuster keeps your head above water a little bit, but by and large, you are getting passed by. Texter says, how do the Pats keep up morale if they're going to keep doing these deals? Well, I think I think the locker room looks at it like, okay, at least we got Juju, but I think the locker room is also probably ticked like, Jacoby's a guy that we built and cultivated here, and you won't pay him. Why? but to bring it in an outsider. I think Patriots players are like, okay, at least we're, you know, on a decent skill level as a team, but they're kind of being wondering like, why are guys that do good things here? Not valued. I think that's a fair question. If I'm in the locker room, I'm like, all right, we got better today, but doesn't help. doesn't help me sleep at night knowing that the team doesn't value its own. As for Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers says that he wants to play for the New York Jets. He says it is his intention to play for the New York Jets. There are some trade compensation stuff that are holding up that deal. But if and when Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, this is my fear. The Patriots are going to be the last place team in the AFC East. The Patriots are one of the worst teams in the AFC conference. And the Patriots also... Just, you know, 25% of their wins last year came against the Jets, and now those get harder to get. When Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, I think the Patriots now will have a hard time finishing over 500. They didn't finish over 500 this year when the Jets ended up not being very good. If Aaron Rodgers goes there, Patriots will have a very hard time finishing over 500 next year. Juju Smith-Schuster helps you stay afloat but it doesn't do a whole lot to make your offense much better. It's better than it was yesterday. It's not better than it was at the end of the season. We know how bad it was at the end of the season, right? Jacoby, look at the end of the season. Jacoby Myers, Damian Harris, Jonu Smith, and Matt Patricia. You look now, Bill O'Brien and Juju Smith-Schuster. I still think the end of the season Patriots group is better than the group they have right now. Just getting Bill O'Brien and Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't do enough for this team. There's still too many holes and too many deficiencies. It is the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I want to transition over back to our coverage of college basketball. We spent a lot of time the last couple of days focusing on UVM and what they can do against Marquette coming up on a – the round one game Friday at 2.45. Now let's focus on the Golden Eagles. Joining us now is Marquette radio personality and uh, ESPN Wisconsin radio host. It's Gabe Neitzel. Gabe, thank you for being with us. How are you? 
I'm doing great, man. I can't wait for Friday. Like, there's just a palpable excitement about Marquette. They haven't won a tournament game in a decade. And, um, you know, no offense to the fine, fine folks out there in Vermont, but there, there's a lot of people who thinks that streak will come to an end on Friday. People think Marquette can run to the final four. And I've heard a lot in the last couple of days about this chip on Marquette's shoulder. How motivated are they? How disrespected do they feel? Um, it, it's tougher to play the disrespect card. But it, it started back um, in, in the preseason. And look, nobody knew what this team was going to be. They lost Daryl Morsell, who was a graduate transfer in from Maryland, who was their second leading scorer. Justin Lewis decided to make the jump from college to the NBA and, and has had you know limited success in the NBA. But they lost their top two players from a tournament team a year ago in Shaka Smart's first year. So they were picked to finish ninth in the Big East. And that's, you know... Everyone was like, oh, wow, can't can believe that. Shock had, you know, he had a pretty good season last year. And it was Tyler Kolek, when asked about that, uh, said, hey, what do you think about your team picked to finish ninth? And he said, well, use the expletive, them. <laughs> and that's kind of been the, the, the attitude of this team going forward. And now it's harder to use that disrespect card, considering that Tyler Kolek is now the Big East Conference Player of the Year. Uh, Shaka Smart is the coach of the year. They won the Big East regular season by two games. They won the Big East tournament and got that number two overall seed. So I think it's really tough to play that disrespect card at this point. But I think that they still feel like they have so much more to play for, so much to be motivated for, to become one of those special teams in Marquette history, which is some of the motivation that Chaka Smart has used as well. Cole, like one of the best players in the country, we've heard about him. Jones in the backcourt, an excellent point guard, and who can really shoot it as well. Is the backcourt the strength of this team? Yeah, absolutely, because they have so many interchangeable parts. What's amazing about this team is their ability to score points in the paint, despite not really having a true center. Uh, Oso Iguodaro is a talented center. He's a great passer, second-best passer on the team behind Tyler Kolek. Um, but at 6'9", again, he's a little more undersized. He can still get to the rim, but they have guys who get crafty around the rim. You mentioned Kolek. Cam Jones can get there. Um, you know, you have David Joplin, who comes in off the bench, can finish around the rim as as well and that is certainly the strength of this team you know Omax prosper so because they have all these interchangeable parts they feel that they can um, do some of the traditional Shaka smart stuff that you've seen they they put on a, a full court pressure at time they still try to get 32 deflections a game try to jump passing lanes and and create turnovers that way which is something they've had a lot of success with so yeah certainly the backcourt and having the the ability to be able to switch defensively all those different things is, is what makes this team pretty special this year talk to me a little bit about how they can play down low you mentioned not having a traditional center but that's really one of uvm's biggest bugaboos as well is that they're going to play Six six and six eight guys, but they're all really perimeter players, kind of forced to play down low. So rebounding can be a problem for UVM. Uh, getting pummeled down low can be a problem, but it doesn't sound like that's really Marquette's game. No, and and that's honestly some of the issues they've had in terms of the last two years because that lack of size rebounding has been an issue where they give up a lot of offensive rebounds. So where they make up for that is kind of those turnovers that I mentioned. I mean, they force 16, 17 turnovers a game, opponents averaging, you know, 23% of their opponents' turnover or, or possessions end in turnovers. So they try to make up for those 
you know, second chance opportunities that they've given up to some of the bigger teams like a UConn, like a Providence in the Big East, and use those turnovers to then create chances for themselves. But again, that's it, that's not to say that this team doesn't attack the rim because they they'll play out, especially when they bring Ben Golden off the bench. He's their tallest player, freshman out of New Zealand, but he can also shoot from the outside. So they're looking for driving lanes to attack, and and, and that's how they really get to the basket and get into the paint and get crafty around the rim. Sure, they'll, they'll still you know post up Oso Iguodaro, so he'll still try to back you down and and try little lefty and righty you know push shots, little hook shots in the lane. But that's not something they typically do, where they just dump it down to Oso and let him go to work. They want to start from the perimeter and attack downhill to get to the rim. We know that UVM is a underdog on the seed line. We know they're an underdog on the betting line, but we also know that upsets do happen. We saw 15 seed last year in St. Peter's go all the way to the Elite Eight. So what is the weakness that Marquette has that could bite them? If they're going to be upset, what is going to be the reason? Um, I would say if their three-point shooting goes cold, but again, they they don't rely as much on the three-point shooting. When they hits those shots, that's when special things can happen. Like when they beat Baylor by you know 20 plus points earlier this year, or or go on those extended runs when Cam Jones, David Joplin start knocking down those threes. And th- again, the other thing is if the other team takes care of the basketball, which has been an issue uh, for those teams. I mean, everybody turns it over against Marquette, but if they if if Vermont keeps their turnovers down and they're able to crash the offensive glass and, and be able to out possession Marquette that way. That's to me, the anatomy of an upset for Vermont. If you can get those offensive rebounds, because Marquette, when they go into that one, two, one, one diamond press, whether it's full court, three quarter, or sometimes they'll even do it in a half court that leaves you susceptible on the back end. Sometimes they'll drop back into a three, two, not a two, three, a three, two zone because of their lack of size. They really try to put pressure on the outside that leaves them susceptible underneath. So if Vermont can just start to accumulate a lot of offensive rebounds and limit their own turnovers, get more possessions. That's the anatomy of an upset to me for the Catamounts. Gabe Neitzel here from ESPN Wisconsin with us here on the Marquette radio team as well as we get ready for UVM and Marquette Friday at 245. He's here with us on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I wonder how aggressive Marquette is defensively because I've always thought in these matchups that the higher seeded team should come out and blitz the hell out of the lower seeded team and try to get up 12 to 2 and then just kind of coast from there. So often we see these games end up with the higher seeded team being timid and that's why they're sweating it out at the end. Is Marquette a team that will come out and try to overwhelm UVM early or are they content to play in the half court? No, they'll they'll come out and they'll put the pressure on without a doubt. That's what makes Marquette to me a, a tough matchup even as the tournament goes on is the number of different things they can do defensively. Yes, offensively they have a lot of talent and over at KenPom.com they've been a top five efficient offense all year long in the country and their defense hasn't been usually when you think Shaka Smart it goes back to his VCU days you think oh Shaka Smart defense that's what they do and the defense is fine. You know, it's mid-60s in terms of efficiency over at KenPom.com. But again, the thing they do is force turnovers. They're going to be aggressive. They'll throw that half-court trap at you. And if you show you can't handle it, they'll continue to come after you. You know, they'll, they'll still put it out there if teams break it and get some buckets on the back end easy. They'll still show it every once in a while just to make you think. Or they'll go to a man-to-man full-court pressure. Or again, drop back into that 3-2 zone. But this is a team. Because one of the main things that they track are those deflections. They go for 32 deflections a game. That's something that Shaka Smart has always kept as as a goal, no matter where he's been. He wants to have those 32 deflections. So the only way to get that, you can't just be passive. 
You know, you can't just sit back and go, okay, we're going to stay in front of our guys. No, you're going to have to be aggressive and jump passing lanes, get those, you know, get the length that they have and get into those passing lanes to cause those deflections. And they're certainly going to force the issue defensively. That's just what Marquette does. If they get burned on the back end with the layup, they don't care. They're, they're still going to come after you and they're still going to make you uncomfortable on the perimeter. So they've got a number of different defenses that they're comfortable throwing out there. And I would, I would be personally very surprised if you do not see that diamond press right away uh, to start the game on, on Friday afternoon. Is there anything about UVM that scares you or frankly, are you looking so far past UVM? You haven't even looked. I haven't really looked because this Marquette team is honestly after the run that they've been on, I think they've lost once, you know, in, you know, since you know, the middle of December, you know, or excuse me, middle of January, they've, they've been on a pretty good run here uh, with their only loss being to UConn in, in conference over the last, you know, month and a half, two months. And that was a game where UConn shot 53% from three. Like they just came out firing up there at the, uh, in, at the Mohegan Sun Center that they have. And, and Marquette just got their doors blown off because of how many threes and, and how often they were going in for UConn. This is a type of team where if they focus on what they do, with what they have offensively with Tyler Kolick and as efficient as he can be, one of the best point guards in the country, best assist to turnover ratio, second in assists. If they can play their game offensively and get those 32 deflections, I, I, that's, I believe in this Marquette team. That's why there's so much excitement around this team. The last time they won a tournament game, they made a run to the Elite Eight. And I think they have a similar type of team where they've shown, based on their non-conference schedule and based on the way they played in the Big East, especially against those really good opponents, those teams that ended up ranked in the Big East in the AP and coaches poll at the end of the year, they've shown they can play with anybody in the country and beat anyone in the country, which is what everybody has, which has everyone excited here in Milwaukee. Well, since you haven't done the research because you feel it unnecessary, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, me. Let me tell you a little bit about the catamounts. And, and Brady, like it, it's also like a part of it. My bandwidth has been so focused on Aaron Rodgers yeah, like, here in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> like, man, like I tournament hasn't started yet. I haven't had to worry about Ver, uh, Vermont in that game. That's not till Friday. We're living day to day with whatever Aaron Rodgers may or may not. Be. Uh, well, I completely understand that. I live day to day with Patriots frustration. So I certainly get the NFL running your life as well. But uh, let me tell you this UVM. What works for them is that they are number one in the country and not turning the ball over. So they are the best in the country at not giving it away. So um, I do think they'll get possessions. What also is good for them is this coaching staff has been to the tournament a bunch of times in the last few years. They've played Florida State. They've played Arkansas. They've played Purdue. They've played all of them to within 10 points. They were within four from Arkansas last year. So the coaching staff knows what they're doing. It's also a veteran-laden team for the Catamounts. It's going to start four grad transfers in the, uh, you know, so it's an older team with experience. What the negative is, is that what you said about five minutes ago scares me because UVM has a very hard time playing against defenses that have interchangeable switching pieces because UVM is going to start two guys that are not three-point shooters. So basically they end up with only three guys that are threats from deep. And if you just keep switching everybody, it becomes very, very hard to get those three guys shots from the perimeter. I would say if UVM is going to win this game, they're going to have to hit 10 plus threes, and that sounds like it's going to be difficult to do against a defense that plays this way. There's your your quick scouting report. 
Yeah, Marquette's not afraid to. I mean, even if it's a smaller guy, like if Oso Iguodaro comes out to hedge on a pick and roll and ends up having to switch, they're okay with Cam Jones, you know, who's a smaller defender, or Tyler Kolick going underneath. And the other defenders around are aware of that. So they'll just try to front, slide in another defender behind that until they can figure out a way to get one of their bigger defenders to switch back on to the big. They're, they are unafraid to play any style of defense. Gabe Neitzel over at ESPN in Wisconsin. Gabe, man, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Friday, and uh, maybe we'll catch up uh, closer to the football season. Yeah, sounds good, man. You enjoy the game as well. Best time of the year. Can't wait for some college hoops Thursday and Friday. Yeah, I can't wait for it as well. And by the way, we are going to uh, have college hoops on tomorrow night and Friday night. So it's not going to impact any of our daytime programming, but at night tomorrow at seven o'clock and then same time on Friday, we will have college basketball coverage. So I'm looking forward to having that on our airwaves as well. And I am looking forward to the UVM game. There's a lot of good stuff in there. The Gabe Neitzel said a lot of stuff to digest. There is some stuff I think that plays well for the Catamounts and there's some stuff that doesn't play so well. Um, I'm going to have the crew kind of break down the interview or cut up the interview while we're at the commercial break here and CBS News is playing because I think there are some things there that we can talk about and discuss. And if UVM is going to win, it's very why. That's very evident to me. And we'll talk about that in the uh, next hour as well. But what we'll do is we'll step aside. We'll get the national news update from CBS News. Then we will come back and we'll break down Gabe Neitzel's interview, talk about some of his takeaways on Marquette and UVM, and then I'll tell you why Dylan Penn, I think, is the guy that's going to have to carry the Cats on Friday. It is the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV brought to you by Fecto Homes and always streaming at WDEVradio.com. Morgan Valley going to stop by at about 630-ish or so. She is a Vermont native about to go into the Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. She's also a former women's basketball player at UConn and on the UConn coaching staff now as they get ready for the UVM women. I want to talk about the Patriots and some of their defensive moves as well at some point today as the Patriots have brought back a number of pieces on defense in addition to signing Juju Smith-Schuster on offense. Um, I want to thank Gabe Neitzel for coming on from ESPN in Milwaukee there, talking about Marquette as we get ready for the Catamount men in Marquette. So if you are a UVM fan and you just listen to Gabe Neitzel, there is good and there is bad in what you heard. Let's start with the good. Neitzel says that Marquette is not particularly big. This is a team that has long wing players, which is very tough to deal with also, but it's not a team full of 6'10 players and 7-footers. Take solace in that somewhere, UVM fans. When the Catamounts played Purdue in 2017, they had to deal with a big body in Caleb Swanigan, who was a force down low and eventually went to the NBA. When UVM had to play Florida State in the tournament a few years ago, they were humongous. I think they had multiple seven-footers, definitely one, and definitely one that was close to seven-foot. Marquette doesn't have that, and that's important. UVM does not have a lot of size. Robin Duncan is a guy playing center who has played guard his entire life. It would be hard for him at 6'6 to go matching up with 6'10 or 7'0. 
The other big guys that UVM has, they are inexperienced. Nick Fiorillo, inexperienced, right? Has missed a lot of the season. I don't know that I want him up against 6'10 or 7 foot. You don't have to deal with that. Aliri Iofalia, a guy, same thing, inexperienced. Matt Barreto hadn't played basketball in three years. And as great as he's been, I don't know that I want him working with seven footers down low. So if you do, if that were the case, I'd be worried about UVM rebounding wise, foul trouble, et cetera. So the fact that Marquette isn't particularly big, you have to be able to find some benefit in that, right? So if you're looking for positives in what Gabe Neitzel had to say, that's got to be one you can draw from. Marquette is not particularly big. Big. Neitzel also talked with us about the defense of Marquette. No, and, and that's honestly some of the issues they've had in terms of the last two years because of that lack of size rebounding has been an issue where they give up a lot of offensive rebounds. So where they make up for that is kind of those turnovers that I mentioned. I mean, they force 16, 17 turnovers a game, opponents averaging, you know, 23% of their opponents' turnover or, or possessions end in turnovers. So they try to make up for those you know, second chance opportunities that they've given up to some of the bigger teams like a UConn, like a Providence in the Big East and use those turnovers to then create chances for themselves. So Neitzel says the defense for Marquette is aggressive. Marquette is predicated on forcing you into turnovers. Well, what did we hear yesterday from Will Brown, the former UAlbany head coach, about UVM? Well, uh, I do think, you know, keys to these type of games are you can't turn the ball over. And Vermont, uh, according to Synergy, is the number one team in the country in turnover percentage, meaning fewest. So there you go. Gabe Neitzel is telling you Marquette is going to look to force turnovers. They, their identity is forcing turnovers. Will Brown saying, I got the stats. UVM does not turn it over. They are very, very good at holding on to the ball. So. One team is reliant on forcing them and one team doesn't commit them. I got to say, I'm going to trust UVM in this one more times than not. I trust Vermont to not give up the ball at the rate that Marquette wants them to. UVM played Arkansas last year. An Arkansas team, long, athletic, fast, out of the SCC, one of the most athletic conferences in the country, and UVM only committed six turnovers. If they only committed six turnovers last year in this round against Arkansas, I got to think they're going to be relatively diligent with the ball again on Friday. I don't expect Marquette to force UVM into 18 turnovers, into 21 turnovers, into 17 turnovers. I think if Marquette if you're looking for a positive, Marquette's looking to turn you over. UVM doesn't turn it over. And I think they can maintain that trend going into Friday. I just think this is a veteran team with tournament experience and with guys who can handle the ball. I trust Dylan Penn to not turn it over. I trust Robin Duncan to not turn it over. Finn Sullivan, Deloney. I think this team has enough experience and enough seniority to not fall victim to that kind of defense or to a team that's built that way. That's a good thing. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open. If you're asking me for what I heard that I didn't like, pretty simple. It was this one.
No, they'll they'll come out and they'll put the pressure on without a doubt. That's what makes Marquette to me. Nah, that's not the right clip. I'll just tell you what he said. Gabe Neitzel said that because Marquette is not overly big, they have a bunch of interchangeable parts. That scares the hell out of me. When you have a team full of interchangeable parts, that team then can switch every screen, can switch every dribble handoff, and you never get a chance to find and exploit mismatches. Right? We saw Binghamton in the America East Conference do just that and give Vermont all kinds of problems. After the America East semifinal, John Becker said at the press conference, that's the hardest defense that we have to deal with, the team that switches everything. That's exactly what Marquette's going to do. And that's going to be a nightmare. If you're wondering how UVM can get blown out in this game, it's because of that. If UVM struggled against a Binghamton team that switched every screen, they're really going to struggle against a Marquette team that can do the same way. Because let's explain this. When you have a pick, your goal is to create a mismatch somewhere, right? Let's, can we get a big guy on a guard? Can we get somebody who's not comfortable being out in the perimeter, out on the perimeter? Can we then create a situation where we have a big guy matched up on a point guard down low? You're trying to create mismatches. If everybody on Marquette kind of looks like you and they can all guard every position, you're kind of out of luck in doing that. And that's going to be a problem. Now, I said, take solace in the fact that Marquette doesn't have a lot of big guys. That's true. But if Marquette had a lot of big guys, you could create a mismatch somewhere. If everybody is between 6'3 and 6'8 and athletic and can guard everybody you have, that's a problem. Maybe this is Neitzel talking about that. Yeah, absolutely, because they have so many interchangeable parts. What's amazing about this team is their ability to score points in the paint despite not really having a true center. Uh, Oso Iguodaro is a talented center. He's a great passer, second-best passer on the team behind Tyler Kolek. Um, but at 6'9", again, he's a little more undersized. He can still get to the rim, but they have guys who get crafty around the rim. You mentioned Kolek. So he's talking about offense there, but it would apply to defense too, right? You got, you got guys that are 6'9". Number one, that is still bigger than you, but if they're trusted to guard your point guards, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And that's where I think UVM is going to have the biggest issue. And that's where I think UVM is going to have the biggest problem. That is, that is disappointing to me to hear. Like as a UVM fan who wants them to win, I'm disappointed to hear that Marquette can play the defense that John Becker has said is the defense we have the hardest time going against. Because I'm trying to think, all right, where are the advantages going to come from? And they're very, very difficult to find. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are brought to you by uh, Fecto Homes. And as I think more about this game, there is something that I just keep coming back to. If UVM is going to win, if UVM is going to keep it close and make Marquette sweat it out, Dylan Penn is going to have to go off. Dylan Penn is going to have to go off. He is going to have to lead this team offensively. If UVM wants to keep it close and get Marquette thinking, if they want to keep Marquette scrambling mentally out of sorts, and if they ultimately want to pull a St. Peter-style upset, 
Dylan Penn is going to be the guy that has to bring it home. And I'm thinking about it based on what we talked about with Will Brown yesterday, who asked us this question. Do you have that dude, a guy that, you know, when Marquette comes out and Shaka Smart is on the sideline in a defensive stance, sliding up and down the sideline, yelling and screaming at his team. Um, Do you have a dude when they take you out of your offensive sets or actions that can make individual one-on-one plays that can get the ball in the paint and force the defense to rotate? To me, that answer is Dylan Penn and Dylan Penn only. Dylan Penn is that dude. If UVM has one, Dylan Penn is it. He is the one guy on this team who can truly get into the lane and create things. And that's what UVM is going to need. UVM has a lot of guys that can do a lot of great things, but they don't have a lot of get into the lane and create things guys. They have guys that are the beneficiaries of that. But if they want to win, Dylan Penn's going to have to be that guy. Bar none. Full stop. Because Dylan Penn, one, is athletic enough to go to the bucket himself. Right? He can get a first step on an opponent, get by a guy, and go to the tin. Right? So he can score himself. He's also crafty enough to score in a multitude of ways around the rim. He gets a first step. He goes all the way with the left. He gets a first step. He goes all the way with the right. He gets a first step. He spins back, jump hook, jump hook left, jump hook right. He gets on the low block and does something. He is the guy who's capable of getting to the paint continuously and scoring for himself. And eventually, once he does that, he's going to draw help defense. And now it's no longer going to be one-on-one. It's going to be Dylan Penn one-on-one, him getting by somebody, somebody drawing a double team, somebody collapsing. And now, boom, he kicks to the corner, and there's Finn Sullivan for three. There he kicks to the corner, and there's Aaron Deloney for three. There he gets into the lane and kicks it back out to the top of the key, and there's Matt Verretto for three. That's what UVM is going to need. If they are going to score enough to win this game, Dylan Penn is going to have to be the architect of everything, right? Finn Sullivan's an excellent player. He's not really a take you off the dribble and get to the lane guy and do it consistently. Robin Duncan is an excellent player. He's not that. Deloney is a guy that can do that. Don't think he can do it against Marquette. Deloney, I love when he goes to the hoop. He can get a step on guys. He's just small. I don't know that I see him going religiously to the bucket. Dylan Penn is the guy who can go to the bucket, who can score for himself, who can put the ball in his hands and create. And then once he does that, then there's an opportunity for all those other guys to do what they do, which is catch and shoot, which is now we got the defense roaming. And now when the defense is roaming, now Finn Sullivan gets a guy on his back and now he goes to the bucket. Now Deloney gets a guy on his back and now he goes to the bucket and somebody else helps. And now veretto has got an open three in the other corner. That's how UVM has to play this game with Dylan Penn putting the team on his back. And look, I do think Dylan Penn is capable of delivering just that. I'm not stupid enough to sit here and tell you that UVM is going to win. I'm not. As a 15 seed, I am not dumb enough to tell you that. But 
I do believe Dylan Penn is capable of delivering that kind of performance. There is something about him where I just trust him in big moments and in big games. I do. Right? Dylan Penn was great down the stretch of the season. We talked a lot in the early going about how he wasn't living up to his expectations, and a lot of that was probably injury, and a lot of it was probably unfair. But as we started to get towards March and the intensity started to get ratcheted up, he was excellent. Most valuable player of the America East tournament went for 20 or more in every game of the tournament. He got in double figures in each of the last 11 games of the season. He knew what was at stake, and he knew what he needed to do to help get this team to the finish line. And he was excellent. Finn Sullivan, 1,000% deserved player of the year. Dylan Penn, 1,000% deserved most outstanding player of the conference tournament. And if UVM is going to pull an upset, if they are going to make Marquette sweat it out, then they are going to need Dylan Penn to be the guy he has been for the last month and a half. That's it. Because we saw early in the year what this team looks like offensively when they don't have that guy. Right Early in the year, Dylan Penn's injured and a little more timid trying to figure out how he fits in. And what did we get? A lot of guys standing out on the perimeter. A lot of guys hoisting jump shots that weren't really good shots. You need a guy who can get into the paint and who can put a team on his back. And Dylan Penn is that guy. He is the guy that UVM has who can do it. Everybody else on UVM is a very good player. But they need to be the recipients of what Penn is doing. I fully believe that. And I think Penn is capable. He just seems to have a second level. He seems to have a focus. He seems to have a mindset that lends him to be really good in those kind of moments. He scored 27 against Cal State Fullerton when this team needed it early in the year. I don't know that he's going to get 27, but he's going to be able to, I think, do some things for himself. And, uh, I'm trying to get to a specific cut that we had from Dylan Penn from a while back here. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, here was Penn on Saturday after winning the America East Conference Tournament. Still kind of just speechless right now. You know, last year I won the tournament, and the next day I couldn't even really, like, enjoy it the way I wanted to. And, you know, I've kind of been thinking about this opportunity for a year just to, you know, have an opportunity to get back to the tournament. So, you know, right now I'm just blessed that I came here and blessed that we were able to, you know, achieve one of my goals. I've been thinking about it for a year. I've been thinking about it for a year. Think about that story. So often in life you count down to something. So often in life you look forward to something. So often in life you put all your energy into something and it either fails or it doesn't live up to your expectations. Dylan Penn is a great story. That he had a goal, he stuck to a goal, and he found a way to achieve that goal, and he put all his focus into that. Look, if you can focus for a year on one target and make that target happen, then I trust that he can come out on Friday and deliver a good performance. He just seems like a guy who is built for it. I think Deloney's capable of going off. UVM has plenty of guys that are capable. And as we talked about yesterday with Coach Brennan, if you're around, if you're in the game, 10 minutes into the first half, 10 minutes left in the half, then you can start to make Marquette sweat it out. As we talked to Will Brown, if you can get Marquette wondering why they can't put you away, 
You can create some doubt and uncertainty. And then that's when the magic of March kicks in. I think UVM has guys that can create some of their own magic or can be part of that magic. Dylan Penn is the guy that can create it. It is the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I got to fill out my bracket today. I have not done it yet. I've just been too swamped with work and booking guests and all that to try to figure out, uh, you know, who I'm going to pick. So, you know, I like Kansas. I like TCU as an upset team. Kind of, I think they're a five seed. I like TCU. I like Arizona. No team from the West has won a title since 97, I think, um, or 95, maybe. Like, no team from West of Texas or Kansas or something has won since 97. I like Arizona. A couple things real quick on the uh, on UVM, by the way, uh, and the American East Conference. Charles Pride, one of the best players at Bryant, he entered the transfer portal. Clarence Daniels, the best player at UNH, he entered the transfer portal. So as they start thinking about UVM in the future, life already getting easier for the Catamounts moving forward. It's another testament to how good this program is that their guys want to stay and transfers want to come in here, whereas most of the time, transfers just want to leave the other places in the America East. Um one NFL note, I want to talk about the Patriots here in a bit at some point. Morgan Valley is going to join us in a couple of minutes as well. But uh, one NFL note, Aaron Rodgers says he intends to play for the New York Jets. It requires a trade, though, from the Packers, and the two sides are working on compensation for that. So we don't have a uh, an answer yet on Aaron Rodgers. But he says he intends to play for the Jets, and he has told the Packers and the Jets that, and now it's just up to compensation. So kind of the latest there. Eagles are bringing back a couple members of their defense, still have lost a couple guys as well, and they plan to release uh, Darius Slay, I think, which uh, I saw. And maybe that was a rumor, but uh, that just came across my feed, but it might have been a rumor. All right. Uh, By the way, Freddie Coleman, Tom Karen, uh, I spoke to both of them today, both those interviews available on the podcast channel already. Morgan Valley is going to join us here momentarily. She's a Vermont native. She won a couple national championships of her own as a player at the University of Connecticut. Now she is on the coaching staff at UConn. The Husky women getting ready for the Catamount women on Saturday in the NCAA tournament. How does she feel about going against her uh, old stomping grounds and her hometown team? Morgan Valley going to be with us momentarily here on the Brady Varkas Show and WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Morgan Valley, the Vermont native and UConn women's basketball assistant who won a couple of national championships as a player at UConn. Uh, she's going to be with us a couple minutes later than expected. We've uh, got a couple things scattered here on the Brady Farkas Show today. So Morgan Valley will be with us by phone in just a couple of moments. I want to get back into the Patriots, though. And the Patriots made a nice move today. We have to give them credit for that. They brought back Juju, or they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. Just won a title with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He comes in, same deal that Jacoby Myers got. So, you know, we can debate who would we rather have, Myers or Juju. I'd rather have Myers. He knows the system. He knows Bill Belichick. We like him. He works well in the locker room. He's great on third down. He's a homegrown player. I like Jacoby Myers. 
That said, Juju Smith-Schuster has a little more top-end speed, more yards after the catch, so you could certainly make the case. So the Patriots today made a nice move on offense, and I would say they are now closer to on par or exactly on par with what they were yesterday. So the outrage of yesterday is a little is lessened today. Now, they still need a top-end wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster is not a one. Right? He is not a one that can carry an offense. When Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh, we saw that. So I can like Juju. I can like him being paired with Parker and Bourne, but they still need a top-end receiver. They've still likely lost Damian Harris. They've still gotten rid of John o. Smith, so there's more to do. But today, I will give the Patriots a little more credit for what they have done offensively. I actually want to shift my attention to the Patriots' defense. The Patriots have made a few moves also defensively in free agency that are really just retaining their own guys. Now, they brought back Jonathan Jones on a two-year deal. They brought back Jabril Peppers on a two-year deal. And they tendered a contract to Miles Bryan as well. I actually like all three of those players. I think Jonathan Jones, he's one of their more athletic players defensively. Um, He can keep up with some of the faster guys in the division, like a Tyreek Hill, like a Jalen Waddell, like a Stephon Diggs. So I like that move. I like Peppers. I think he's a versatile player that can play in the box, can bring some thump, is a bit of a playmaker, has some speed as well. I like Peppers. And Brian is a versatile chess piece, right? He can play a little inside DB, a little outside DB, a little safety, can do everything. So I actually like the Patriots bringing these guys back. The problem is just because you've brought everybody back doesn't mean that you're going to have the same results as a year ago. And by the way, Devin McCourty has gone as well, and that's a big deal. But just bringing back most of the same players from last year doesn't mean you're going to have the same level of success. And it seems like the Patriots are kind of counting on having the same level of success. Look, like right, they've brought in, in Juju Smith-Schuster. That's good. But the offense is still overall in a worse-off position than it was a year ago. So if the offense is in a worse-off position, you're counting on the defense being able to carry you again. And just bringing back everybody from last year, I don't think affords you that affords you that luxury. Why? The Patriots last year were like historic. Historic levels on turnovers, return for touchdowns, punt return. I mean... Marcus Jones had a punt return that won them a game against the Jets. Jones had an interception return against the Bengals, I believe. We saw a fumble return touchdown, interception return touchdown against the Colts and against Cleveland. Like these teams, Detroit, Duggar did it multiple times. Like that stuff's not repeatable. So if we look at the defense and say, I oh, will just bring back all the same guys, we'll do all the same things as last year, you're not going to. You're not going to be able to repeat defensively what the Patriots did a season ago. It's just not. Defenses in the NFL are like bullpens in baseball. They are far too volatile. You're great one year, you're awful the next. Now, Baltimore was great at the turn of the century defensively for a couple of years. Seattle was great with the Legion of Boom. And after that, the top-scoring defense every year, it seems like you cannot repeat it. And I don't think you can bank on the level of turnovers and touchdowns scored by your defense year to year either. So that, to me, is a worry. I look at the defense and say, okay, it's likely to not be as good as next year. So what are the options? The options are to go out and get more defensive players that are really good, which they have not done yet. Or the options are to go out and make your offense better to compensate for what is going to be a worse defense, and the Patriots haven't done that. 
They are likely worse this year than they were last year by virtue of losing probably Damian Harris and Jonu Smith, and the line was bad. At best, they're the same as a year ago because you like Juju more than Jacoby Myers. Right? Like, at best, the offense is the same as a year ago. The defense likely gets worse, so we lead to an overall worse team. And that bothers me. Right? The Juju move is good. But the def- but, but the overall product still isn't that great. Again, defense isn't likely to be as good. You haven't brought in upgrades to defense. And you haven't covered for those defensive deficiencies or the defensive downgrade. You haven't covered for it by bringing in a better offense. At, at best, you have the same offense. It is the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on DEV. Before we get to Morgan Valley, by the way, did you hear what Colin Coward said yesterday? Now, granted, this was before, this was yesterday, so this was before the Aaron Rodgers news. So before Aaron Rodgers came out and said that he wants to play for the Jets, did you hear what Cowherd had to say? Uh, we have that, don't we, guys? Oh, we definitely do. Uh, let's see. Uh, I know we have it. I saw it earlier. Okay, here it is. Listen to what Cowherd said again before the Aaron Rodgers stuff. Let me throw this at you. You're going to laugh. The Jets call the Patriots and say, we'll take Mac Jones. Oh. Patriots, because they have a coach who's not going to get fired. Belichick goes to Robert Kraft and says, you want the next Brady? There's two of them in next year's draft. We tank. So yesterday, things were so dire for the Patriots. The national perception of them from Colin Coward, the best guy in this business, was they should tank. Think about how far the Patriots have fallen overall that Colin Coward is suggesting that they tank. Now, the Jets don't need Mac. Because they're likely going to have Rodgers now. But that, 24 hours ago, that was the suggestion that the Patriots should tank. Now, I don't think you should ever be tanking if you're the Patriots because you're the Patriots. But also, you should never have to tank when you're on a rookie quarterback contract. You should just be able to build and build and build. And that's what's so frustrating, that they've had that ability to build and build and build with a cheap quarterback and put anything around him. And Collins, like, they've done such a poor job at that that they should just blow it all up. That's what's frustrating. They have the ability to spend whatever they want around their quarterback, and they've screwed it up so bad that Colin thinks they should sell it off for parts. By the way, I want to just fight Colin's point there for a second. He thinks the Patriots could tank because Belichick could handle going 2-15. Two, two and 15. I don't think so. I've said for weeks now, actually I've said for months, there's a point where Bill Belichick gets on the hot seat. I know Robert Kraft wants him to break the all-time coaching record here in New England, the all-time wins record. Going 2-15 and 15 doesn't get you to the playoffs. Going 2-15 and 15 doesn't get you closer, really, to the all-time wins record. So Robert Kraft, I don't think he's going to be putting up with that. I think if he's like, hey, all right, we're going to go 8-9 and nine again, but now Belichick is only a few wins away and he's going to get it next year, all right, then I can tolerate it. 2-15 and 15 puts, you in, you know, puts you another two seasons away. I don't think Robert Kraft wants to be doing that. Robert Kraft has shown... He has an urgency for this team to win. And going 2-15 and 15 does not accomplish that urgency. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. I am excited to transition. Good move for Juju, yes. Text line says, oh, I like Juju. Yeah, I like Juju too. I'd rather have Jacoby Myers and somebody else, but fine. Juju, you still need that and somebody else. We'll see what they do here. Um, all right. 
I'm excited to transition back into college basketball. The UVM women's basketball team is taking on UConn, the most storied program, at least in the last 20 years, in the women's game. Saturday, 3 o'clock, national televi- uh, nationally televised game on ABC. When we look at that UConn sideline, we're going to see someone with Vermont ties. It's Morgan Valley. She is a Rice Memorial product. She went and played at UConn, won three national titles, and now is back on the uh, coaching staff for Gina Warriam after several years away coaching at various other places. And uh, she's taking on her hometown team on Saturday. Morgan Valley on the phone with us now. Morgan, thank you for being with us. How are you? Good. How are you, Bree? Thanks for having me. Well, I'm well as well. I should also mention, by the way, you're going to be part of this year's Vermont Sports Hall of Fame class, you and your sister as well. Congratulations on that. Tell me a little bit about that honor before we dive into the game. Thank you. Um, you know, I haven't really had too much time to think about it. Uh, it's been so busy here. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a crazy year, but uh, honored, you know, just excited to share something with my sister. Well, that's certainly going to be a a fun induction coming up here in a couple of months. It's going to be a fun game as well. Uh, look, we go through the selection show on Sunday night, and UConn gets paired with UVM. What's going through your mind when you see that matchup come up on the screen? Well, my dad has actually been um, manifesting this for some time. So, <laughs> you know, he he uh, had watched Vermont all year like he always does, and oh, I'm telling you, this is a really good team. This, you know, he's just been bragging about him all year. And then maybe about a month and a half ago, he said to me, you're going to play him in the first round. I'm like, Dad, how do you even know that? <laughs> um, and then, you know, Sunday, it, it happened. So, you know, he was the first one I called. And I was like, you're right. He's like, yeah, I'm always right. <laughs> You know, we are still early in the week, so obviously maybe the film has it. We haven't gone through the full deep dive yet. But what's your uh, your early impression here of the Catamounts? I, I don't have a scout, um, so I'll start watching them probably today or tomorrow. I have the next, uh, if, if we're able to advance, um, we split the scouts up, uh, the three assistants. So um, I haven't been able to watch them yet. Uh, I watched a little bit of the final game, but, you know, just well coached. Um, they play hard and, and you know, I'll, I'll start preparing for them uh, in the next couple of days. You know, I got asked this question yesterday, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you more definitively. So obviously one of the differences between the men's tournament and the women's tournament is that the men's tournament has every game at a neutral site. The women's tournament has the top 16 seeds hosting the first two rounds. Is that done to further reward success in the regular season? Is it done for attendance purposes, a combination of the two? Do you know? I think it's a combination of the two. I think, you know, in particular, our fan base is unbelievable. Um, you know, we pack the house pretty much every night. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's both, you know, and it's a pretty cool atmosphere that a lot of women's college basketball players don't get to experience. Um, you know, in all the places I've been, Arizona at the end, Adia did a great job of getting people to come to games and winning always helps. And then at Washington, in the in our, in our last year there, uh, Kelsey's senior year, um, they we had some sellouts. So it's not normal, especially on our side, to, to have as many fans as we do. Um, you know, kind of like Vermont does. You know, they 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 get pretty good crowd, yeah. uh, especially when they're good teams. Talk to us a little bit about this version 
of the Yukon Huskies, obviously on the two seed line. That is a uh, a difference to some people used to seeing you on the one. It's been a, a year of adversity for Yukon though, in terms of injuries, Paige Beckers out for the season, dealt with some other injuries over the course of the year. Tell us where your team is at headed into the tournament. You know, it's just, it's been a year like I've, I've never experienced. I thought my previous two years in coaching were <laughs> really hard, but I don't think anything has met this year. Um, you know, you take Paige and Ice Brady out, Basically, you know, Paige got hurt in August. I got hurt in October. Um, but we've only played four games with our entire roster that we started with in November. So I don't know. You know, everybody goes through stuff, but we don't even really know who our team is. You know, we know what we can be. We've seen glimpses of it in this Big East tournament when we played earlier in the season. But, you know, we haven't had our full roster really practicing and playing consistently all year so um that's just a a testament to these young women and how strong they are and how tough they are uh, to just keep rolling and and doing all the things we're asking them to do daily sometimes not even knowing who's going to be at practice or playing in the game that night so it's been impressive to see how strong these young women are uh and it's been a hard year Catamounson Huskies coming up 3 o'clock in Stores, Connecticut on Saturday. We're joined now by Vermont native and UConn assistant coach, a three-time national champion in her own right when she played at UConn. It's uh, Morgan Valley with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You know, take off the the UConn hat and just put on the Vermont native hat here. Uh, you were growing up when the Vermont women's program was really, really strong. It was on some hard times for a decade plus uh, here more recently, but now they are back to the national scene. How how cool is that? How good is that? How important is that for the local community and for the growth of the program? Oh, it's, it's awesome. You know, I'm so happy for them. Uh, proud of them. Um, you know, I'm a Vermonter. So, uh, and like you said, I grew up watching uh, all those women and, you know, just, just incredible. Really, really happy for them um, and really excited for them. You know, probably wish we didn't have to play him um but so i could cheer for him a little bit longer but uh you know can't cheer for him this weekend <laughs> You know, Catherine, Catherine Gilwee is a CVU product in the Shelburne, Vermont native. She's going to be the starting point guard when you take on Vermont on Saturday. How cool is that? How important is it for, for young people, for young girls in the community to see a, a local starring at the local school? Oh, I think it's, it's pretty cool. You know, and, and we're, we're such a small state, you know, that I think sometimes it gets lost that you can kind of, you can do anything, um, you know, if you work hard and put your mind to it, that, you know, you can be the starting point guard on the NCAA team. So it's, it's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's, there's more to come. You know, we talked about this on the show the other day, and I, and I want your perspective. It's not a competition of which one is harder because I think they're both equally impressive. But you're in a situation where your program has to maintain success, and that's really hard. This program has had to build success and climb the mountain, and that's really hard. Talk to me a little bit about the differences between the two. I think, you know, here there's an expectation not only on coach, but the players, the expectation that the players have to deal with. Uh, and when you come here, there's a pressure that's like nowhere else. You know, if, if we don't win a national championship, we're failures. And, you know, that's 
that's an extreme pressure. You know, we lost five games and it was kind of like it was the end of the world this year. So, you know, that's, that's a hard position to be in, especially being 18, 19, 20. And then, you know, on the, you know, trying to climb that mountain, you know, it's kind of, it's a day-to-day process. It's all a day-to-day process, but you're, you're trying to figure how can we win this, this one championship. Um, and you want to enjoy every single moment possible within the process and sometimes at this level that can get lost you know enjoying because it means a lot it means so much it means a lot to your program to your kids your staff the community the school you're bringing so much attention to the university um, when you're a a school that's trying to get back to something it it has been so you know it's different pressures but pressure's pressure so I think it's, it's more similar than it is You've coached for 16 years at varying programs in terms of level. So you have see, you have been a part of that building process, various places. Let me ask you, what does that first championship mean to a program? How does it help recruiting? How does it help everything as you continue the building process? Yeah, I think, I think it, it can really, really propel you, you know, sometimes uh, where we get lost, you know, I've been at places where, we, we won and um, maybe we, we over-recruited kids that we couldn't get. And then you're kind of back in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's finding that fine line of these are the kids that got us here. These, this is how we can get better. Um, but this isn't, you know, it, it can really, really help in a lot of different ways. It brings a lot of attention. And it, if you go about it the right way, it can really um, – propel your program well i'm looking forward to watching the game on saturday nationally televised game on abc at three o'clock it is the uvm women's basketball team taking on perennial power yukon uh in stores connecticut so we'll look forward to watching that two versus 15 matchup and morgan valley the vermont native going to be on the sideline coaching at yukon her alma mater where she won three national championships morgan congratulations on all the success this year best of luck in the tournament and we look forward to seeing you in vermont later this year for the uh vermont sports hall of fame inductions congratulations Congratulations, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thanks, for Appreciate it. Absolutely. There goes Morgan Valley, the Vermont native. And uh, look, you can tell she she is absolutely someone who has been at UConn and experienced success and experienced uh, the process of being at UConn. You see, look, I'm not focused on the Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. I haven't given it much thought. I'm locked in on our season. Then she says she's not – like they have segmented scouting reports at UConn, like – She's not working on UConn. She's working on an advanced opponent just presuming that UConn's going to win. So it's a different one. You can tell she is someone who has been around a lot of success in her life, and we appreciate her being with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Morgan Valley um, had a lot of good stuff, right? And you know, she very much is a coach in the way she addresses things, very much one day at a time, and I'm looking at this, and I'm doing this, and I'm not focused on that. But when we got her talking about Vermont, you could tell – you could tell how happy she was. That's what I liked hearing there. She's happy for Vermont's success. She remembers those teams of the early 90s when UVM won but 50 games in a row. She remembers that. She remembers going to those games. And I'm sure she would like to see the program get back to a really good level. And I really liked what she said about Catherine Gilwey and seeing having you know Vermont kids see a Vermonter lead the program because that is important, right? It, it doesn't happen at every program. And it doesn't happen every year. But it's important, I think, for local kids 
to have a role model. And Ben Shungu last year was that on the men's team. And Catherine Gilwee absolutely can be that or is that right now on the women's team. I think it's important. We say all the time, I know it's important for kids to see somebody that you know, comes from where they come from or looks like them or went to school where they went to school and have to see those people have success. Well, it works the same in your local community. It's important for kids to not only see the local team have success, but for kids to see local players have success. Now, a, a high school girls athlete can look at Catherine Gilwee and say, you know, she can do this. I can do this. She can go to the tournament. I can go to the tournament. We've got that in hockey, right? We've seen hockey players in this state go on. And uh, I think there's a player from Woodstock who's playing at Northeastern in the women's frozen four. Like, so we see people in hockey do that. We've seen now Owen Kellington do that in baseball. And now we see it in basketball too, where you get a Ben Shungu, you get a Catherine Gilby. There have been other players that have been good at division one schools, but they've left, they've 